Welcome back to The Experience Makers, the podcast brought to you by Wonderman Thompson Technology. I'm Gemma Milne, and once a month, we'll be reimagining customer experience with guests from across the marketing technology industry. Over half of all retail spend worldwide is now online, and consumers have increasingly lofty expectations when it comes to shopping, with over 64% claiming in Wonderman Thompson's annual global survey that they wished brands and retailers could be more innovative in their use of digital technology to improve the customer experience. With channels such as social and marketplaces and now gaming continually upping the game, what do shoppers really want and how can brands and retailers better serve them? In this month's episode of The Experience Makers, we're talking to Wonderman Thompson Commerce's Head of Thought Leadership, Hugh Fletcher, and Head of Innovation, Naji El Arifi. They'll be delving deep into the Future Shopper Report to discuss the views of over 31,000 consumers across 18 international markets and suggesting ways in which sellers should be responding to future-proof their retail strategies. Hugh and Aji, thank you so much for coming and joining us again on the show. I think you've both been on once, twice, a few times. It's really great to have you have you both here chatting all things um, retail, the future of retail, and the future shopper report specifically that you both worked on. Um, this report, 31,000 plus consumers across 18 international markets, over 100 pages and 20,000 words in this report. Absolutely uh, brilliant piece of work. Hugh, would love if you could just start by giving us a bit more information about the report. When was it completed? Who was surveyed? And what was kind of the overall purpose of doing it in the first place? Yeah, yeah. So as you say, it's, it's a massive report. It gets bigger each year. Uh, I think we're on our sixth version now. Um, started off a lot smaller than, than what it is now, but um, I think just the sheer number of questions that we want to ask, the sheer number of sort of uncertainties that exist in the market, um, the sheer number of questions we get from our from our clients and from prospects um, means that each year it gets bigger. So I think there's something like 42 questions of which there are multiple subsections as well. And really what we want to do is look into how consumer shopping predominantly online is is changing. Um, clearly, we've had a couple of years which have which have been pretty tumultuous and, and you know have changed the way that people have shopped. And this report it, it gives us really a fantastic global view of, of just how consumers are shopping, how their shopping habits are changing, and also what they want to do and what they want to experience with shopping in the future. So Hugh, building a little bit on what you just said there, um, there are there are eight top headlines that come with this report, which obviously we're going to go into everything in a bit more detail. But before we do that, give us give us the headlines, tell us quick fire what it is that this report has unearthed in this edition? I'm not necessarily certain it's unearthed um, potentially new views, but it certainly cements some and it gives us some additional ones that to, to build on, as I said, the six previous uh, versions that we've done. So I think the main one is just that online commerce is, is on the rise and it's here to stay. So that's pretty obvious, but it's a question we get asked a lot. Um, and there's lots of queries about whether consumer behavior will, will remain changed. And I think the answer quite simply is yes, it will. Um, we see marketplaces dominating uh, through offering fantastic service. We see in order to win, in order to fight back against those marketplaces, in order to give consumers what you what they want, um, you really have to become service-led. And that really means, means focusing on things like availability, fast delivery, easy returns. Um, we also see the market having many more channels to purchase. So one of the things we, we noticed this year is social commerce rising in prominence um, versus previous years. Uh, 
again, a very relevant topic. Sustainability comes through loud and clear. Consumers want to purchase products which are sustainable from businesses that have fantastic ethics. But at the same time, they also want to have fantastic uh, delivery and return. So there's a bit of a sort of a conflict of what they want there. And also, I think probably thinking further into the future, we kind of need to redefine a little bit what a consumer is. We see things like gaming commerce and the metaverse coming into, into play and also what they're buying, because uh, we also see that uh, products are not necessarily just physical. They're also becoming increasingly digital. So loads of different topics, um, some that the uh, listeners will absolutely know about and it'll just be you know stats to back up and some potentially new ones as well. Najee, I want to um, bring you in here. We've got a lot of different buzzwords um, coming through in this report, omni-channel, social commerce, marketplaces. And for people who kind of follow, um, I guess, the future of marketing, uh, the media and so on and so forth, these words, I'm pretty sure they will have come across. Before the layman, um, thinking about this report, suggesting that over half of all spending is now online, it was 57% in there. Where is it that people are actually shopping? So it's quite a wide range, actually. So all the way from marketplaces to um, brands, retailer sites, um, it's, it's what's kind of started to happen more and more is how much more spread out it is. So I think that has led to more and more people buying more and more different things online. And again, driven by COVID. So for example, um, people during COVID, uh, quite a lot of people started buying their groceries online for the first time. And so once you start to go down the road of buying more and more differentiating items from online, then um, you start to end up spreading that, that cost around, which is why we're starting to see this huge number of, of currently 57% being online. Now, that's fairly even across all the different age groups, by the way. So you'd think that there's like a huge um, drop off as you get older, but actually, you know, the 65 plus, we're looking at around 45% or online. So that's still a huge chunk. And I think we're going to end up continuing to see this over 50% um, number, you know, staying, staying there, basically. We don't expect it to go, you know, below 50 again, really. Uh, I think people find online very comfortable and very um, easy to do compared to, you know, why would I walk around a grocery store, for example, for an hour and a half to do my weekly shop when I can just tick things off a list online? It's that age-old thing where... COVID has forced so many people to change their behaviour uh, temporarily and then also go, actually, this makes sense to just do. I don't only have to do it because of the pandemic. Um, Hugh, where does this all leave physical stores? How are consumers using them or not using them or using them differently? Um, bearing in mind what Najee said about this, this number probably not going below 50 um, and it not being so different across different age segmentations and regions and so on and so forth. Yes, I think if you if you read the Future Shop report, it's very much focused on online and how online is growing. But but we're really keen to say, uh, and we want to make it super clear that we think that physical retailing definitely plays a role in the future. So physical retailing is not dead, and we need to be a hundred percent clear about that. And and consistently across a number of different years, and again this year the same, consumers are telling us that they ideally want to shop with uh, retailers, marketplaces that have both physical. Uh, and digital offerings. Um, and I think that's that's interesting because we tend to think it's one or the other, but but what we see is that consumers want to be able to engage in whichever way they want. They want that engagement to be seamless. They want to be able to move from channel to channel. Uh, so definitely physical retailing is, is still an important part. 
However, as our data suggests, is that online is going to become the predominant channel to purchase. Um, and really what that means for businesses and retailers is they need to focus on their omni-channel offering. They need to make sure that they're operating effectively across digital, physical. You know, none of this is new, right? This is not a surprising revelation. Um, but I think it's really, really important that that the online experience has to be great, but it needs to be supported by a fantastic uh, physical experience too, if possible. Nanji, bringing you in here. So there's nothing as, as well. And that is the fact that people are really interested in technologies that help them um, have a better experience in store. And so what we started to find is that a lot of people are actually quite excited about the idea of cashless payments, for example, being able to get in and out really quickly. Uh, we found that 64% actually um, were really excited about the idea of stores like Amazon Go um, or Alibaba's uh, Hammer stores. So the idea of just going in, grabbing what you want and leaving um, is really hitting home for, for a lot of customers because they realize it's, it's solving a problem. It's not just technology for technology's sake. It's actually solving a problem that we all do not want to have, right? We don't want to queue in a shop. We do sometimes just want to go in, grab one thing and leave. And so whenever um, we think about the experience that we're going to have in these physical locations, we need to think about these kinds of technology as well, being able to enhance the experience. I think another interesting stat that we got out of Future Shopper is that there is actually still a relatively high percentage of consumers who are still frightened about going into store. So we, we've been tracking this over the last couple of years. Um, last year, I think the stat was 41% of consumers. It's still a pretty significant percentage of consumers who are still frightened to go into store. Uh, now, depending on what happens with uh, COVID, depending on you know how societies open up, depending on waves, uh, that will affect that percentage. But I think it's 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 really important to know there still exists quite a lot of anxiety around returning to stores and, and therefore businesses need to think about that and how they encourage consumers back if they want them to come back into store and how they make their experiences as safe and as enjoyable as possible. Let's move away from physical and, and dive into to online because as you say that that is the, the focus of this report and let's specifically focus in on, on social commerce and, and Nadji I'm going to come to you. How is social commerce kind of playing out across various channels? What are the trends um, that we're seeing? Is, obviously TikTok is, is relatively new but are things changing on older uh, places such as Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and so on and so forth? So I think one thing to, to point out first is just before we get into to talking about socials, the fact that one of the things we try to find out is how people feel about getting from inspiration through to purchase. And one of the things that we found last year and this year is the fact that 80% of customers want to get from inspiration through to purchase as quickly as possible. And you think of that kind of experience socials in a really fantastic spot there, right? Because you can be scrolling through, you see something you really like, you know, you could potentially just have one or two clicks and you could have the item on its way to your home. Now, currently, social isn't, you know, worldwide ready for, for payments yet. So, for example, in the UK, you can't really do it yet. You can't purchase to Instagram, for example. Um, usually, it kicks you out to the, the site of the brand, for example. But I think social is in this really fantastic spot to be able to, to fill that gap of getting from inspiration to purchase extremely quickly. And so one thing we started to see as well is the fact that customers actually don't want to leave the social media platforms to make a purchase. So they, they don't want to click on an ad, for example, or on a, on a brand's um, post and have to go out of the app and make a purchase. So that's about 58% of consumers who've said that. So I think that's, that's the first thing to point out is that there is that beautiful connection between inspiration and purchase. 
And what about the the role then of brands looking to try and make the most of of social media and particularly about how that translates to a purchase? I mean, again, this feels like an age old question in the sort of future retail space. And there's always been criticism of brands trying to kind of get in on trends that are very short lived, but viral. Um, But from your perspective, then, what does it mean for brands going, okay, we want to get in or, or make the most of social commerce, but do it in a way that makes sense that actually isn't going to reduce our brand equity in the long term. I think social is a really interesting one because it's, I think it comes back to authenticity, right? You don't want to be just hopping onto trends and not really having, you know, not copying everyone else, right? You kind of want it to be authentic. You want it to be real. I think you want to go back to what it is that you're trying to provide customers, right? Are you trying to inform them better about how to use the product? Um, Are you utilizing social just to um, showcase how the product looks by utilizing beautiful imagery? Um, I think one of the things that we've looked at as well is we've asked consumers, you know, what would encourage them to purchase more through a social platform? And a lot of the times it comes down to um, the ease of the purchase, you know, availability of offers, for example. But the biggest difference from comparing this year to last year is the fact that influencers had quite a large jump this year. And I think there's this huge idea around um, influencers are continuing this rise in, rise in importance because social is quite a personal thing. And if you have a, an influencer that you really like and you trust, um, it's very easy for that person to, if they're being authentic about, you know, advising on what product to get, you're more likely to end up purchasing that product as well. Hugh, I want to bring you in on on this uh, discussion around social. Yeah, so we get asked quite a lot about what what sort of the role is of of brands and retailers in in social, but we'd also kind of need to think about perhaps it's a total reinvention of what a brand is. So it's not actually in in this, uh, we've run some research before on younger generations, so generation alpha, 16-year-olds, and the importance of influencers in, in them making a decision. And in fact, one of the surprising things that came from that is that younger consumers almost wanted their influencers to become retailers in their own right. So we start to see a shift in, in the way people see who and what it is they are buying from. And I think that that, that's a, that can be a risk for some, some sort of legacy brands or brands that have been around for a while. Um, that, that actually the concept of brand, the concept of retail is being reinvented by the social space, who you buy from, who influences what you purchase. And, you know, I think sometimes this is sort of hard to understand and um, it's quite useful. I think I've got, I've got three kids and, and, um, and my eldest is, is 10 years old and you can kind of see this being lived. So he is, he is thinking about what he's going to buy because of who he watches on YouTube. You know, he makes purchase decisions um, about, about which games he's going to download based on what they're playing. And, and I think the conditioning of those young people is really interesting to think, you know, in, in however many years time, he's going to be a fully fledged consumer, that conditioning he's had all of his life, the importance of social, the importance of influencers, the importance of video content is really going to impact the way he purchases. Not only that, but also the way he he's ordered things online, the amount of time he's happy to wait for it, his expectations will all have been influenced by by this period. So I think uh, one of the telling bits of, of data that we got from, from one of our pieces of research was that in 10 years time, digital commerce leaders expect social commerce to be the number one channel to market. Now, obviously, there's going to be some big changes with, with um, marketplaces, which we'll talk about later, but that just shows how important 
digital commerce leaders think it's going to be. And I think from my own experience, you can see that that's definitely the case for the future generation of consumers. It's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective of, um, I mean, conditioning seems a bit um, like a strong word, but thinking about it from what it is you're used to growing up and what kind of um, ideas you form about brands, how you shop and so on and so forth. And for some people, um, working in this space might feel that social commerce is very unfamiliar, but you've got to remember it's maybe un- only un- unfamiliar to you and not to other people. So um, I think that's a really interesting point that you've raised, particularly when we're thinking about it from uh, the perspective of what's coming next. Um, let's move on. Um, Hugh, how much of a role has working from home, this new normal that we're talking about, you've mentioned COVID a few times, um, but what what role has has this had on the findings in the report? I mean, I know you, you do it every year, so obviously last year we'd have been impacted by it, you already mentioned, around fear. Um, but, you know, we're a year on, things in some ways have changed and others have not. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I think working from home's probably a, a new part of Future Shopper, which which we haven't tracked in, in previous years. And I think this is such a sort of emotional, you know, uh, discussion that goes on. You hear sort of politicians demanding one thing, business leaders saying another thing. I think it's split across generations as well, what, what people believe is possible from home and not possible from home. So I think it was good to get some data on this because I think it sort of just debunks some of those myths. And and, and what it told us is that globally, 60% of consumers want more working from home. And I think if you just, you know, if we all take examples from our own lives and think at the inefficiencies of five days a week, getting in a car, getting on a train, getting into an office, coming back home, it doesn't really actually make sense. So I don't think it's any any surprise really to to most of us that that lots of consumers want to uh, have more working from home in the future. I think what was also interesting was that actually it it changed some of the experiences and some of the thoughts about shopping of consumers as well. So uh, I think it's 62% of consumers said they had found new brands and retailers as a consequence of uh, working from home. They were shopping more online as a consequence of working from home. Um, they were less loyal to the physical retailers that they used to frequent. So not only is it the sort of the the better experience, the better work-life balance that consumers can get from working from home, but it also changes the way they think about brands, the brands they come across and who they end up buying as well. Another area that was interesting in the report is um, the, the idea that consumers are more comfortable with technology. And I can imagine um, that will probably also have been informed with a certain rise in having to use digital products over the last couple of years. Um, but they're also continuing to demand more sophisticated digital products and services um, from various different kinds of companies and brands that they come into contact with. How have you seen this evolution from physical to digital product trend since you've been conducting this research over the years and, and sort of what do you predict in the future? Nadia, we'll, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, sure. So one of the things that we've started to see is especially um, around the idea of the metaverse. I think it's quite interesting because I think we've seen over the last year how NFTs, for example, have started to, to really come into the forefront. And the idea that digital products now seem to have some kind of real world value um, is super interesting. and. I think what that's led to is an idea that you know the products a brand can create doesn't have to just be a physical item anymore. It can actually be a digital one too. And although we're still very much in the early phase of 
oh man, the buzzword of the decade, metaverse. I feel like I've heard it every day about 50,000 times. Um, I, I would say we're really, the way, the way I like to look at it, right, is meta means beyond, and then you've got verse the universe, right? Now, if you were thinking about this, that means that everything you can do in the real world is in the metaverse, right? And we are at the point now, I think, where we haven't even got moons and planets that you can travel between, right? There's like one, but it's like in a different parallel universe to another one. There's like, there's no way to go between them. There's no login that you can share between them. You can't go from Decentraland into Sandbox and things like that. And so I think because it's so early, it's really hard to, to judge how this is all going to go very accurate way. Because at some point, there may be a place where you have a home, for example, in a digital space. Why wouldn't you fill it with products and brands that you know and love from the real world? You know, why wouldn't you have Balenciaga shoes in there? Why wouldn't you have a Samsung fridge and things like that? And so I think there's going to be some really interesting stuff happening over the next couple of years in, in, in the space of digital items. And I think gaming is going to be the front runner there because I think things like Roblox, for example, where Gucci is building this guard, this perpetual space, for example, that people can go to and selling handbags for $4,000, uh, which, uh, by the way, it sold for $4,115 in Roblox. And uh, that is $715 more than the real bag. So, you know, digital products definitely have real value. Hugh, I'm going to bring you in here. Yes, I think, I think this concept of kind of digital products is, is quite interesting. So it's hard, or I, I find it hard, I suppose, to, to think about not ordering physical products. So we tend to think about e-commerce being products which are at a warehouse, they get picked, they get packed, they get shipped, they get delivered, that we open up from a box and, and we experience. But the trend we've been tracking for a while is just that actually more and more products and services that we're buying online are actually digital. So last year, it was a third of all products and services that are bought online are digital. This year, that's risen to 38%. And I think that that changes our perception of the role of online. Lots of talking online about sort of last mile. Um, I guess we'll talk at some point about uh, delivery speed as well. But there's a big difference between products which you can download, which you can get almost instantly uh, versus physical products. And increasingly, we see consumers wanting and demanding those uh, digital products rather than the physical ones. And that's particularly true of the younger generations. So again, kind of referencing back to gaming, referencing back to uh, my son, referencing back to sort of younger shoppers, you know, these are all consumers who are much more happy to buy uh, digital rather than physical products. So. Again, to give you an example from my life, my son was 10 the other day. We got him an Xbox uh, S series. Um, you no longer have discs. You download everything. So, I mean, that, that for me, despite working in the econ market, despite looking at these stats all the time, is a bit of a weird concept. Naji's laughing at me because he's a gamer and I'm not. Um, so he's very au fait with this. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a a changing of perception and 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 a little while ago actually Nadji and I were on a phone call where my son came in and he'd earned some money from me by doing a job and he wanted to be paid in robux rather than real money and you know Nadji sort of nods, nods his head and says yeah yeah that's normal and and I'm sort of you know a bit of a luddite saying you know like really you don't want the you don't want the real money but I think that's that's sort of we need to understand that that's what consumers are increasingly doing. And I think what that does for businesses is it forces them to address the products they're creating 
the services that they're creating, the experiences that they're creating, uh, because it's very different buying a product online than in store. Um, you know, it's very different buying um, uh, potentially a, a, a digital product than a physical product. And so they need to rethink, you know, what's their, what does their product strategy look like? Can they digitize uh, any of their products. If they can't digitize their products, what services can they digitize? Um, and I, I think that's that's quite a big challenge for many organizations, but something that's really important because if, if as I said, we see this number continuing to go up from 38% and increasing, we're going to see an increasingly digital world where people are increasingly buying digital products and increasingly experiencing things digitally. Therefore, what you offer needs to be digital rather than physical. An interesting stat that the report had was 62% of global shoppers wish that online shopping was more entertaining, um, which is an interesting, interesting word to, well, I mean, it's, it's an obvious word to associate with shopping, but specifically with online shopping. Um, what do you guys think they mean by that? Are we talking about, you know, gaming to kind of build on some of the stuff you're talking about or more trying to replicate the experience of kind of going shopping with, with your friends? Um, what does entertaining really mean in this context, Hugh? But we'll start with you. Yeah, well, I, th- I think this is a, this is a really interesting one because we tracked what consumers were missing during the initial lockdowns, not not in this report, but in previous reports. And it was quite interesting to see that uh, what they were missing from physical shopping was almost nothing to do with physical shopping. It was all to do with the social experience. So getting a bite to eat, meeting your friends, getting a coffee, that, that was what was being missed. What you have online is is fantastic. Uh, range, speed, convenience, availability, all of that stuff. But it can sometimes feel a little sterile. You know, you don't get that experience, you don't get that excitement, it's hard to socialize. Um, and therefore, when we talk about kind of customer experience, we need really need to think about what's the content that's provided, um, what's the what's the overall experience when someone's comes coming to a site or going to a marketplace, what's exciting. What additional content can be delivered? Because yet yeah, a couple of interesting stats. Yes, consumers want it to be more entertaining. There's another stat in there, which I can't remember the exact number, but it's over 30% of consumers say they think online shopping is boring. Online shopping wins frequently because it is the easiest, fastest, most convenient way of getting exactly the product you want. It doesn't necessarily win because it's the most exciting and entertaining. So if businesses and retailers can make their online experiences even better, then there's even less reason for someone to go into physical stores. Um, there's even less reason for them to invest in their in their physical store. And there's even more consumers that will start to buy online or, or increase their spending online. Let's talk a little bit about what consumers don't like or perhaps what they would like to demand more of or they are demanding more of. Um, that perhaps makes it quite difficult for business. Um, what kind of key frustrations does the report highlight and how do businesses start to try to rise to them, Hugh? Yeah, so, so we always ask in Future Shopper kind of what, what, what's the one thing that you would change um, about online shopping? And uh, this year, kind of two themes came out very loud and clear, which is around delivery and around returns. So fast delivery and uh, free delivery and easy returns and um, and free returns essentially uh, came out really really loud and clear and I think that kind of links back to how do you become successful or how do you fight back against marketplace dominance if you're a direct to consumer company and that is that you have to be service led and you have to think about the service so what we see is increasingly consumers 
are loyal to service than they are to brand. And actually, we first noticed this trend back in 2018, and we've kind of been tracking it since. And it, it is just, it is so frightening and just um, amazing to see the expectations around delivery. So, uh, last year, we, we were really shocked to find that 4% of global consumers expected products to be delivered within two hours. Um, this year, that percentage was 24%. So not only do consumers expect products to be delivered lightning fast, but also their expectations are growing very, very rapidly. And I just think that is a very hard challenge for businesses to um, to address. Um, it requires enormous investment in infrastructure. It requires fantastic partner networks. But all of that aside, if we just look at consumers, they are demanding super fast delivery. Um, and really, any business that wants to, to be successful online has to make sure that their delivery is uh, fantastically fast. And also, I mean, if you look at the example of kind of Amazon, Amazon Prime, definitely at least at the point of, of purchase and at point of delivery, it feels like that delivery is free, even if you know it's been paid for via Prime or some other mechanism like that. So delivery, incredibly important. I just on this one, I mean, where does the line get drawn when it comes to, um, you know, businesses deciding to meet expectations of consumers, right? Because businesses have power, as we know, um, but specifically around behaviour change. And so, you know, consumers expecting physical products within two hours is not just a logistic or business challenge, but that is huge repercussions for the climate. And you said sustainability is, is, a, is a key theme too. Um, so, you know, businesses could have a role in going, we're not going to do that, um, most likely probably for profit reasons. However, there's obviously other reasons too, and that could be well communicated at the point of buying, for instance. I mean, you see on Amazon, for instance, they've got the allocated Amazon days and it reminds you you know, it says like, thanks for choosing your Amazon day. Um, and it most of the time incentivizes me to do that because I feel like I'm doing good. So I'm, I'm curious, a lot of the time we speak about, you know, meeting customer demand. Um, what about responsibility? Well, I think there's probably a lot of parts to answer in that, in that question. I think if I start with meeting customer expectations, I think when there are businesses within the, the market, within e-com that are meeting those customer expectations, then the answer is it's not really up to businesses to decide whether they meet them or not, because if they don't, consumers will go elsewhere. And what we found about online, as we kind of mentioned before, finding new brands, finding new retailers, consumers are happy to go to the businesses and the brands that offer them the best service. Now, what tends to happen at the moment is the best service across actually most metrics is the is the main marketplace in each region. So for us here in, in, in Europe, it's, it's Amazon. That is setting the benchmark. Um, so, and that is the benchmark that, that we all expect. The second part of the question is the part about sustainability. And I think this is where it gets really interesting because when we ask consumers about sustainability, they tell us categorically it is really important. They want businesses and retailers to have good environmental practices. They say that they choose because of ethics and morals. Um, it is an active part of their purchase decision making online. When we are separately about, let's say, delivery, what they tell us is faster delivery is more important than delivery that impacts the environment. Um, and so we've done a couple of tests on this and uh, and we've asked 
it kind of you referenced uh, Gemma the Amazon day delivery. So we particularly asked this. Um, off the top of my head, uh, it's forty three percent of consumers who have uh, used uh, Amazon day delivery or the equivalent within their market, and that's up from last year. Um, so what we see is that increasingly consumers are choosing that, but it isn't. You know, that, there's still a way to go. So. So I think the sustainability and the demand and the service questions are quite interesting because consumers want it all. I think you know very unreasonably they want it all. They want next day delivery. They want range. They want convenience. But they also want businesses that look after the environment. Now, again, interestingly, we asked who is best at, at giving environmental um, options like this, and the answer was the marketplaces. So again, we see the marketplaces setting expectations not only around service, not only around availability, not only around delivery and returns, but also around sustainability as well. But what that does mean is it's incredibly difficult for other organisations that perhaps don't have the the firepower, don't have um, the infrastructure to deliver all this stuff to actually compete, and that that is a bit of a worry. We could talk about uh, this topic. We could have a whole episode just on this topic, and indeed, we we have in the past talks about these sorts of things specifically. Um, but we 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 don't have time for that. And I want to ask one final question, which hopefully for people listening gives a little bit of practical advice and a little bit of um, excitement too about the future. So we'd love to hear from both of you. Um, first of all, some of the tech innovations that you're excited about or you think are set to dominate online retail in, in the next couple of years. And based on that, or not based on that, what would be, other than reading the report, your advice for businesses in terms of what they should do right now to future-proof their commerce strategies? We'll start with you, Naji. So for me, I, I'm going to continue to be a bit of a geek and a nerd. And I'm going to say uh, gaming, I think, is going to be really interesting over the next couple of years because... It is a huge business. Like it's, it's, there's more revenue going through gaming than in movies and music combined. And so there's a huge amount of money sloshing around. And I think they haven't even gone to the point where we can buy physical items from within these games yet. You think about Fortnite, you think about how they've started to partner with different brands, how they're doing live events. I, I'm, I'm waiting to see how they implement um, commerce into that experience that goes beyond the gaming experience. And I think building on that practical advice-wise, um, I think one area that, that brands and companies and you know, pretty much everyone's going to end up having to invest more in, I think, is content, specifically 3D content. So trying to set up some kind of workflow where you can create not just beautiful imagery and video content of your products, but also start to invest in the 3D models as well. Because that's not just going to be useful from within gaming. It's going to be extremely useful now that we're seeing way more investment into augmented reality, for example. And you know, sooner or later, the big tech companies are going to be pushing for their next device, smart glasses, and you're going to have to have some form of 3D product that you can view in those things uh, to have a great experience. So I think um, getting some kind of workflow in place to, to produce this content is going to be extremely important. Love that. Gaming and content. You heard it here first. Um, let's let's move on to you, Hugh. Same question. What are you excited about or you feel is going to dominate um, from the tech innovation space? And um, apart from reading the report, what should businesses be doing right now to make sure they're future proofed? I think I'll, I'll answer the, the second part of that question first, if you don't mind. So, so I, 
I think from a from a practical perspective, what we see is that businesses don't plan far enough ahead. Um, we did some research a couple of years ago. The the average amount of time digital commerce leaders plan in the UK is 15.5 months ahead. And really that doesn't give you very much time to invest in the right type of infrastructure. And um, what that's shown is that increasingly the businesses in the online space against whom they are competing are, you know, very different beasts. So uh, Amazon is most companies' partner, but also their competitor. And we see planning on a on an absolutely huge plane, and you know, way beyond fifteen point five months. So to imagine that your competitors or the people who are setting the expectations for your consumers are planning for what the future is going to look like in 20, 30, 40 years time, and most businesses are planning for what it's going to look like next year, I think that's a bit of a worry. So so the practical advice has to be plan further ahead. And that is super difficult when there are economic challenges and socio-demographic challenges. Uh, you know, it's, it's really difficult for businesses to do that and to get their head up and not to think about next quarter or next half or, or this year, but to think on a longer plane. Uh, but they really have to do that. And, and they really have to listen to what consumers are saying they want in the future to be able to start to invest in the infrastructure now, which will enable them to offer it. So I guess the answer to what I'm excited about is is the way, therefore, commerce will develop. So I, I kind of mentioned something there, kind of space commerce. So I love to talk about space commerce just because I think it's, you know, it's not what you'd instantly think about, but there are businesses, individuals thinking about owning infrastructure of space and, you know, how that will affect commerce in the future. And then as a sort of, as an aside, and there's some, some data in the future shopper of this as well, is also when we were thinking about what the future of consumers is, we start to ask our quest, ourselves a question, you know, what is a consumer? What is a customer? Um, do you even need to be alive to be purchasing products? You know, if you have uh, an AI linked to a lifetime of purchasing linked to a bank account, in theory, you could carry on purchasing from beyond the grave, be that, you know, presents for your grandkids or whatever it might be. This again sounds a little bit out there, but then when we tested this through Future Shopper and we asked consumers whether they'd be interested, uh, you know, over 40% of consumers globally said that yet yes, they would be interested in purchasing from beyond the grave. So what we're going to start to see is the concepts of what we buy, where we buy it from, who buys it totally changing in the future and therefore businesses and retailers and marketplaces need to think about you know who is it we're selling to um is it actually a human being are they alive is it an ai and i think that's absolutely fascinating to think about kind of sales and marketing of the future so space and buying from beyond the grave i guess that's uh, that's what we're going to get from you Hugh. both of you thank you so much for coming and joining us on this episode i would love to keep asking questions particularly about some of these things that you have teased us with in your final answer but i guess that's the point of doing these questions right at the end is just to get planting some seeds and hopefully people listening will go off and explore themselves. Hopefully they'll also read the report and get even more inspiration from you um, in your words there. Um, but thank you so much for coming, sharing your opinions, your thoughts, your expertise um, and your optimism about what's next for the future of shopping. Najee Hugh, thank you for joining us. 
You've been listening to The Experience Makers, a Wonderman Thompson technology podcast. You can follow us at One Thompson Tech on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, or visit us at wondermanthompson.com. Make sure you tune into next month's episode of The Experience Makers, where we'll continue the experience conversation, helping businesses thrive in today's experience economy.